Welcome back to Psychic Crime. I'm your host, Nicole Mann. Now, I've been away for a little while. I apologize, but I had an upper respiratory infection that was really bad. I lost my voice for a little bit, and I didn't want to come back till I was close to 100% as possible. Um, it was really bad there for a minute. Uh, a lot of antibiotics, steroids, they even had me on an inhaler for a while. But now I'm good as new. And as usual, I just want to take the time to thank all of our listeners. Without you, there really is no show. So thank you guys ever so much for listening and sticking around. And I want to acknowledge all the new listeners we have from all over the world. Thank you guys. If you guys have any unusual crimes from your home countries that may not have made the news here in the U.S., please reach out to me on Twitter at GeekFlossy. Let me know about them. Also, if you want to show some love, throw us a few bucks on our patron page, which is through Podbean at patron.podbean.com slash psychyourcrime. Uh, the link will be down below. Or if you want to do a one-time donation, you can use Venmo at psychyourcrime. And as always, we really appreciate any support that you show us. Um, you can also show your support by giving us five stars on any platform that you're listening to. That really helps us out. It helps us get on those recommended lists. And anything that you can do um, really helps us out. Now, one of you had asked me um, what my new job was because I had mentioned that I had changed jobs. I was working as a substance abuse counselor, and now I am a housing stabilization case manager at a children at a um, at a shelter for families. So it's parents or single parents with their kids, and I help them find um, housing, whether it's a regular apartment or subsidized housing. And then I help them find grants that helps them overcome any kind of barriers, whether it's past due utilities or things like that, that might be stopping them from um, getting housing. So I can use my experience from working with people with substance abuse issues and mental health issues and help them get those kind of services that may have caused them to become homeless first. And then the other great thing is once they do move, I still continue to work with them as a case manager so that I can help them um, work on that transition. So I just wanted to answer that question. Somebody shot to me on um, Twitter before we get into this week's crime. This week we are going to look into a case that happened in Hawaii in the 30s. Now for those of you who don't know, before Hawaii had became an official state, um, it was pretty much just out there by itself. And what happened was Dole got a hold of it. Um, Dole used the island. It was pretty much plantation land. They set up several plantations for the pineapples. And they made a lot of money there. And so there were a lot of factories and canneries in Hawaii from the pineapple plantations and they wanted to make it a state because of the tax benefits that they would reap from that and then there was also Pearl Harbor there was the naval base there so this crime happened in 19 
31. In the early morning of Sunday, September 12, 1931, the worlds between whites and islanders collided. When a little before one o'clock, uh, a car carrying a young man and two middle-aged couples along Ala Moana Road toward Kiawala Inn slowed and then stopped. The car's headlights cutting through pitch black had illuminated the figure of an elegantly dressed woman walking alone in their direction and waving them down. As she approached the car, the people inside noticed that the woman's mouth was swollen and one of her cheeks was red and scratched. The driver of the car reached over and rolled down the passenger window. The woman, squinting in the dark, looked inside. She asked, are you white people? They said, yes, yes, we are. And she said, oh, thank God. Then she opened the front door and climbed in and directed them to her home. Less than 24 hours later, nearly everyone in Honolulu had heard the shocking tale of a young Navy officer's wife who had been gang raped by a carload of Native Americans or Native Hawaiians, please excuse me. And the people in the car that rescued her never forgot the night they met Thalia Massey. It was the beginning of one of the most astounding years of their lives. In the early morning of Sunday, September 12, 1931, Thalia Massey, the socially connected young wife of a Navy officer, accused five non-white island men of gang rape. Thalia Massey, a member of the influential Fortescue family of Washington, D.C., and wife of Pearl Harbor Navy Lieutenant Thomas Massey, reported that she had been raped by a group of locals, five Honolulu men, two Hawaiian and two Japanese, and one Chinese Hawaiian. They were arrested that night for an unrelated incident and were later identified by Thalia as the men who raped her. Their subsequent trial with a mixed race jury, unable to agree in a verdict, <clears throat> ended in a hung jury. Now that's really important because many people were outraged at the fact that there was a mixed race jury. They wanted it to be an all white, all white jury. They thought, oh, this will be a slam dunk if we have an all white jury. And the Navy was really invested in this. The head of the Navy, who was a known racist, really, really, really wanted these men convicted. And there was a lot of strife between the Navy and the naval officers and the men on the Navy base and the people who lived on the island and the natives from the island. And so there was a lot of issue with the jury pool and the picking of the jury and so the governor had to step in and he had to say you know we this is their island this is their home you know technically we're kind of just tourists here you know yes we have you know businesses here and some of us have homes here but they've been here for generations and and this is is you know their ancestral home and and this is where their family has been for generations we can't 
take them out of this process. We can't take them out of their justice system, out of the justice system. You know, so the white folks and especially the people in the Navy were really pissed off about the fact that they had even allowed any natives to be on the jury. And a lot of them tried to claim that as natives, that they didn't have the ability to understand the justice system and be able to make the judgments or uh, be able to determine right from wrong. Um, they could have just come out and said, you know, they're straight savages and we don't trust them. But, you know, they didn't want to be blatantly racist or excuse me, that blatantly racist. But so a lot of people tried to blame the verdict on the fact that they allowed natives on the jury. Before a second trial could even be held, Thalia's mother, Grace Fortescue, and her husband, Thomas Massey, and two enlisted men kidnapped defendant Joseph Kahalawai and tried to coerce a confession from him. Kahalawai was shot and killed during the encounter. Outraged over the prosecution's failure to secure a secure conviction against him and his fellow defendants, Rear Admiral Yates Streeling, a naval commander in the islands, and others lobbied hard for Kahalawa'ali's killers to be acquitted. They ended up being represented by Clarence Darrow. Now, one thing that you need to know is Clarence Darrow actually didn't want to touch this case, but he had a lot of things going on at the time. So he ended up taking the case out of financial necessity, not because he wanted to, but because he had to. During the course of the case and during the trial, Thomas Massey actually admitted to shooting Kahalawa'ai, but claimed that he was suffering from temporary insanity at the time. Now, part of the problem with this defense was that Grace Fortescue bragged about the crime. She had pretty much ran around and advertised the fact that she was going to get justice at all means necessary. The Fortescues were well-known racists before they ever came to Hawaii. Um, so you, it, it's no surprise that they went this route. I mean, the fact that she had said she was gonna get justice by any means necessary, um, it, it, everybody knew that she was. they were gonna stoop to this. So, Basically, everybody knew that it would come to this and nobody really stepped in to intervene. I would love to say, you know, who does this? But it's the 30s. It's super racist America. The Klan is still rampant. So white people in America in the 30s do this. So I can't really have a moment of outrage. So the four defendants including Thomas Massey, were convicted of manslaughter by a majoritively white jury. That absolutely shocked everybody. They were convinced 
the defendants were convinced, the Navy was convinced, everyone was convinced that the jury would do the right thing by their people. They thought this is a majority white jury, whites will do right by white, they'll let them go, it'll be fine, not a problem. But at the end of the day, they did drag this man out and murder him. It doesn't matter if they thought he did something wrong. They literally took him out in a car, drug him into the jungle, tortured him, and then accidentally shot him. And they tried to drive him back and got caught. They were going to drive him back and dump him in the um, town that he lived in and got caught along the way. And there wasn't really anything they could say. They got caught with a dead body. So at this point, <clears throat> they've been convicted. And there's a lot of pressure from the Navy and from people back in the United States on the governor of Hawaii. And the reason that there's pressure is because they are starting to propose before this all happened that Hawaii becomes a state. And they're threatening the, gover the governor with not making Hawaii a state and saying that he needs to fix this and he needs to do something. So lawmakers across the country decreed the perceived injustice of the verdict. Members of the U.S. House of Representatives sent telegrams suggesting that martial law might be imposed if the people of Hawaii proved to be incapable of governing themselves. Under this pressure, Territorial Governor Lawrence commuted their sentences from 10 years to an hour in his office. Literally, these people sat in the governor's office for an hour and drank tea because the governor was scared they were going to send men from the Navy to declare martial law on the island and take these people. And what ended up happening was directly after they finished their one hour, <coughs> the Masseys and Grace Fortescue, Thalia's mother, left Hawaii by going directly onto a Navy ship, despite the fact that Thalia was supposed to remain in the islands for the retrial of her rape case. With Thalia unavailable to testify, the charges against the four remaining defendants in the rape case were dropped. An independent investigation of the alleged rape conducted by the Pinkerton National Detective Agency by the governor questioned the credibility of Thalia Massey's testimony and supported the defendant's claims that they were not in the area when the crime was supposed to have happened. Thalia and Thomas Massey divorced only two years later. Thalia Massey, after a troubled later life that include an alleged assault on a pregnant maid died in the 1960s of an overdose of barbiturates. People in Hawaii and the mainland agreed that this was a travesty of justice and it has forever stained their island. 
They sometimes, however, disagree on who the aggrieved parties were. The Masses are Kahuwa'ai and his de descendants and his fellow de defendants, excuse me. Empowered whites in Hawaii and on the mainland said that the Masses were victimized by renegade locals and a flawed justice system. Meanwhile, a rapidly galvanizing community of working class Hawaiian and Asian locals put their support squarely behind the five rape defendants. Their resolve has strengthened as details of the case emerged, including reports that Thalia Massey's reports to police changed hour to hour during the investigation and more and more information about the suspects was disregarded or ignored by the police throughout the investigation. Rumors also spread that Thalia had been romantically involved with one of the men and that she invented the rape to cover up an affair that she had with one of her husband's enlisted men. The rumors were never substantiated though. So Thalia had mental health issues. Many people suspected that she had an affair. She was out when, at the time, was considered too late, a time when married women should not be out. In order to cover up uh, her transgressions, she created the rape. And this event almost affected Hawaii's statehood. And this is something to this day that still happens women still make up claims of sexual assault when they haven't happened, whether it's to get back at someone or as in this case, to cover up something they've done or someplace they've been. And as you can see, these kind of things have horrible consequences, whether it is someone being falsely accused and put in jail, even it going all the way to someone ending up in jail and imprisoned falsely for sexual assault in this case is the death of someone because someone wanted revenge for the sexual assault but false claims of sexual abuse they impact the whole system because what happens is that creates one more person that is not going to get believed because the police will deal with this person it will come out that it's not true they'll take the next person's um, statement it'll sound too much like the statement they just took that wasn't true they'll doubt them because they'll have that case still in their head and then that person will just say screw it you don't believe me what's the point and then that's another victim who's not going to get justice because they weren't believed because of something that happened that had nothing to do with them and a lot of people don't come forward because they go through and it and they've tried and people don't believe them and people don't want to hear them. So false allegations affect the whole system. They make it difficult for people who have been assaulted to come forward. And it's something when we deal with people who have been sexually assaulted, we tell them don't come forward unless you're prepared to go through the whole process, unless you're prepared to name names, unless you are prepared for everything it entails. Um, it is a difficult journey. It's not an easy one. Um, 
and <clears throat> at the same time it's it's not anything to be ashamed of so that was the case for this week um, next time we're going to be looking into the story of Ronald Reagan's welfare queen one person a con artist he used to stereotype all of the welfare system in the meantime I hope you sleep better knowing the how and why people do such awful things.